the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson. Uh, you know what's going on because we're rolling it out multiple platforms. We have a new CBS Sports post-spring top 25. Uh, we're going to get into that uh, here in just a little bit. The Number one team is no surprise. It is Alabama, but uh, elsewhere, it's very interesting to see how the same voters who participate in the CBS Sports 130, uh, who, you know, our just comprehensive FBS-wide ranking of every single team we, we decided to just go post-spring. We're only releasing the, the 25 here. We will be back with a preseason full 130 a little bit later in the summer. But, you know, just a little taste test now that we've got all the news and notes. And apologies to Stanford because we did not wait until May 22nd to go ahead and declare this post-spring. Much love to you, David Shaw. But, uh, man, that's... We ain't doing that. May 1st was the last big wave of spring games, and so uh, we're going to continue to move forward. Now, before we jump into those rankings, a little bit of uh, some headlines from the transfer portal. When we were doing our spring gleaning for the Big 12, uh, one of our, our questions was, you know, what's up with Juwan Mitchell, right? Because he's the the leading tackler for Texas a year ago. You know, between him and Joseph Asai, they did a lot to sort of clean up uh, a lot of what was like things would break down and somebody like a Joseph Asai or Juwan Mitchell seemed to be able to uh, to help and, and keep that Texas defense from becoming a total train wreck. And Mitchell, very good player, but he put his name in the transfer portal. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian, you know, Jeff Choate, and Pete Kwiatkowski, all the comments were a little bit cagey on whether or not he was going to be welcomed back. I think they wanted to leave the door open, but no one seemed to have any confidence. It was a lot more of the conversation of, you know, we're, we're moving forward with the guys that we got in this room. Uh, if Mitchell had wanted to come back, I, I suppose that somebody that gifted and somebody with that much experience as a coach, you got to at least entertain it, but it is official. He is not going to be back at Texas. Uh, he will be going to Tennessee. So the Vols end up getting themselves a, a nice piece at linebacker, especially as we are anticipating that he, Henry Toto will not be back. So uh, as Jawan Mitchell lands at the Vols, will be playing for this defense. Uh, what kind of what kind of player? What kind of boost do you see uh, for Tennessee? with this addition I, I think he can be a productive you know physical guy for Tennessee if you recall back uh, when we were doing our spring game reviews we noted that the guys on on balls 24 7 were surprisingly saying that or that they were surprised rather that Heupel noted they needed to add pieces on the defensive line and the linebacking core because that was anticipated to be 
uh, one of the the better units on that team uh, on a defense, by the way, that is, is pretty widely expected to be a bad defense this year, given what they've lost and the, the lack of depth that they have. So you know, given that, it, it's not entirely surprising that they were able to go out and, and get somebody who can have some early playing time. I don't think he's a huge difference maker for them, but Tennessee needs all the pieces it can get. Um, I'm not entirely familiar, by the way, with the situation as to why he left Texas. I, I really didn't read up on that enough. Does anybody else know? No, that I couldn't get uh, – when I was doing some Texas stuff and really digging into it, that was a, a spot where it – it seemed as though the the communication between the new coaching staff and Mitchell maybe was not uh, open or was not strong enough such that any of those coaches were expressing a lot of confidence in, in there even being an opportunity of him returning. Yeah, I, I haven't heard or read anything that has any gleaning behind it. I'm just assuming that he was a huge Tom Herman fan and he was heartbroken that Tom Herman was fired. <laughs> I just think it's great for Tennessee because they were so – like you talked about Tenry Toe Toe, but like they need players and to get another player in there uh, to help Hypel on the defensive side of the ball, which we think is going to be the, the, the toughest transition is a massive addition for them. But I do, I'm kind of with you guys, like what was the deal with Sark and the new staff? And maybe it was just, maybe it was an opportunity to look come somewhere else and he was tired of his time and wanted to try something different. I do have a prediction. If, he has a chance to have like a hundred plus tackles for them because they're going to be down in a lot of games and teams are going to be running out the clock and linebackers in those situations. I mean, that, that's how these guys from BC or some of these bad boss or, you know, bad boss college teams, or bandy teams end up with a hundred plus tackles. So, so you're hundred plus tackles for Juwan Mitchell in 2020 sneaks his way onto an all sec team. Chip starts talking about him like an NFL prospect because he's an all American. Like that's like, that's sort of the way that this goes for Juwan Mitchell. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Um, the F- Jameson Williams, St. Louis native, speedy guy, uh, track guy, 300-meter hurdle guy, never really had a, a, a huge statistical impact in the passing game for Ohio State, but you know, certainly a, a lot of talent, former four-star prospect. He had nine receptions in eight games. Uh, two touchdowns logged, you know, logged a lot of uh, participation. I think a lot of that probably coming from uh, special team and sort of the way that uh, the, that wide receiver room goes, Tom, there was a, there was a little bit of a moment where we were wondering if uh, Jameson Williams, the, the four, is going to land potentially with Illinois. And he announced on Monday, he plans to transfer to Alabama. I'm sorry for uh, coach Bielema and the staff who thought they might've been getting themselves a, a nice little threat at the skill position. When you were when you were thinking there was a chance he was going to be at Illinois, what you what you think about Williams? And I I will say like I don't I don't want to just sort of jump out this. I will say the fact that Alabama is bringing in wide receivers might speak to uh, the confidence that Bill O'Brien has in that wide receiver room where, you know, obviously so many pieces that have that are left like first round picks four first round picks of, of the last two years. But you know, in my mind, I was kind of like, all right, best wide receiver room in the country. Ohio State's number one. Oklahoma's right there. Clemson's got a lot of talent. And don't forget about Alabama, Ajay Hall, blah, 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 blah. Maybe it's not as deep as we think. And maybe this addition uh, tends to point that way as well. But uh, Williams as the player. And then uh, and are you sad to see him not be uh, not be in the blue and gold in orange next year? I would have loved to have seen him at Illinois. I didn't ever really think it was a le- legit shot at happening. But I... I I, my takeaway is kind of the biggest one that, that you get too. It's 
you know, he's leaving Ohio State for a lot of the same reasons we saw Mookie Cooper, who is another St. Louis area kid, left Ohio State. He's now at Mizzou, where with like Garrett Wilson there and Chris Olave coming back for another season, there's not really a very open door to playing time. So when I saw that he was going to Alabama, I was like, huh, because I know Alabama heavily recruited him out of high school, too. So obviously there's a relationship there with the coaching staff, which helps a lot when it comes to the transfer portal. But it's just like the path to playing time he clearly thinks is clearer in Tuscaloosa than it is in Columbus. And I guess that's the case. But that's the more interesting thing to me, because I think Jamison Williams is a talented player. He was highly rated out of high school for a reason. He ended up at Ohio State for a reason. Alabama wanted him originally for a reason. He's very fast. He's tall. He's a big play machine kind of that could happen for you. But yeah, my biggest takeaway is if he thinks Alabama's receiving core has more opportunity for him than Ohio State's, Mm. that's something to keep an eye on. It definitely does. I mean, they are loaded, loaded at Ohio State. I I think talent level Bama is similar, but as far as talent plus experience, Ohio State has the edge right now. Um, I got to see Jameson Williams quite a bit as a recruit. Do you guys know that the type of receiver who kind of just floats, it looks like his feet aren't actually touching the ground. He just kind of like he's almost weightless. He just bounces around. That just real, real kind of, uh, you know, string beanie. And mm-hmm. Bama, I think if they can find a way to use him to where you use him in the slot, he doesn't get pressed a whole lot. Like he's not a physical guy. His hands are decent, not amazing. He did have a, a drop in the Ohio State, you know, spring game, and he was not going to start for them. In fact, I, th- I think Jackson Smith and Jigba was going to take his spot at Ohio State. So he was probably going to be their fourth or fifth receiver at best. But if Bama can use him creatively in, in the slot, I feel like he could be very productive for them. Uh, I think this is where Saban, this is exactly what he was addressing when he talked about the transfer portal. And he said about the whole philosophy of it, he said, we're going to lose some players on our team that probably weren't that good. And we're going to add players to our team who are good. And this is that whole rich get richer. And they're going to fine-tune their roster because I do think wide receiver is one of the question marks at Alabama, one of their more significant question marks. And so for exactly what you guys are saying, does this tell you something? Yes, I think it tells you two things. It says, yes, there are possibly some issues at wide receiver at Alabama. And two, the willingness for them to look at the transfer portal and say, yep, we'll bring in because it's going to make more competition. There's no guarantee, but it's going to raise the level of all of our wide receivers. And one more uh, note from the transfer portal. I, I only bring it up because I I spent too much time writing this story. Uh, I'll just go ahead and admit this right now. It's supposed to be a quick newser. I really should have had it done in like 20 minutes. But I found it hilarious that Willie Taggart, in his very first game against Miami, had himself a nice little lead, a 20-point lead, and then old Nikosi Perry throws four touchdowns and leads the Hurricanes back for a win against the Knowles. And I think that Willie Taggart has been out here telling all of his peers, he was like, no, that's a special player. Listen, we just got beat by a special player that day. And you know what his assistant coaches did? They said, all right, you think he's so special? Offer him. Offer him, Willie. He's available. He's in the portal. Go and offer him. So Willie Taggart, after saying that he got beat by a special player, has now offered a uh, Nikosi Perry a scholarship, and Nikosi Perry has decided he will be transferring to FAU for the conclusion of his uh, college career. You know, 
the Kosey Perry coming, leading Miami back to beat Florida State is probably the career highlight. He sometimes got called on because of injury. Sometimes he got called on because like Malik Rozier was sort of in and out. Had a four-year career with the Hurricanes, but you know I, I was looking at even who was in uh, that FAU quarterback room. I I guess he's going to end up being the starter for Taggart for the Owls, but there I mean there seems to be no guarantees there. Uh, they couldn't throw the ball last year at all. I mean, like like even against UMass, they were primarily run the QB. Can, can I point out by the way, and I'm, I'm wearing my Nolcast T-shirt today, but uh, they lost that game primarily because of a terrible call. Okay. DJ Matthews on on that double pass. If you guys remember that, they 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 said that the lateral was was forward, which I, I think later on they probably issued a statement saying it wasn't. That was uh that was pretty crazy because that that touchdown that they scored was to go up I think 24 points. Another classic it, case of the Canes getting the benefit of some ACC <laughs> officials and then the league office having to having to issue a statement on Monday being like, "Uh, yikes, sorry about that." You, you're referring to the, uh, the the Duke like seven lateral play. It's an octolateral. There were eight oh, in there. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. Eight. yeah, yeah. There might have been like five of them before his knee was almost definitely on the ground, and then there were a couple more after it. Miami was the better team, but yeah. still, that that was a pretty crazy bad call on a huge play. Thoughts on Perry? I know, my, <laughs> I, my expectations are so low. I the dude's a knucklehead. Like off the field, he's made some really bad decisions, which is one of the reasons why he didn't fulfill some of his potential at Miami. Couldn't stay out of trouble. Couldn't stay eligible. Uh, I'm. I look at Willie Taggart at FAU, and I wonder how this all plays out. Like, I don't know. We saw how it ended at Florida State, and I don't know because Florida FAU was starting to roll like. They've been a program that's had some success. The lane train came through there, you know, was building it up. I, I, I'm very curious to see how my neighbor, he lives, uh, you know, not that far from me is Willie Taggart. I wonder how it works out for him in Boca. Do you I mean, I, go ask him? I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think like you, you mentioned, but that, that passing offense was so bad last year. And I think that Nikosi Perry has it, it, I feel like at Miami, the nicest thing I could say about Perry's tenure, because he played a lot the last three seasons, was at least he kind of took care of the football a little bit. It's just he only completed like 50% of his passes. So I, I just I, I think that compared to what FAU had last year, it's probably raising the floor a little bit. It's just I don't know if may, maybe the step down in competition will help. Maybe that'll put up some better numbers for him, but it's, it's not the kind of move where I think it's, it's the name that you recognize, but it's not really moving the needle for me as far as what to expect. And I don't have the box score up, but also those four touchdown passes came in a performance where I think his yards per attempt were like 5.5. Like, I mean, it was just like, he just was able to, he was able to get it done in the red zone. Uh, It wasn't like he was tearing up uh, the secondary, pushing it down the field. The Champions League is close to crowning a champion with the second leg of the semifinals this week. The K Galazzo podcast provides previews, recaps, analysis, and betting tips for Champions League and Europa League. Listen in as the team chats with UEFA team insiders to give their picks on which team takes home the Champions League title. Follow K Galazzo wherever you find this podcast. Coming up on the other side, breaking down the CBS Sports post-spring top 25. A lot of ballots were sent out. A lot of ballots were put in. And, and, and I got to tell you, the, the composite, it's got me scratching my head in a few places. We'll discuss those next
The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, so uh, as we're recording this, it has not yet been released, but I have, uh, according to all of the uh, company, according to all of the company, um, lessons and seminars I've been in. I, I told you guys it was confidential, right? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to flag it as confidential. I told my whole thing. Flagged as confidential. Did you guys complete your security training? for like I, I did my internet security training as part of ICOM CBS. I, I know to forward emails that are phishing to a certain place and some other stuff. Yeah, the, well, speak, yeah, the code defense. Behind the curtain stuff, Danny, when I was on the show, on your SiriusXM show with you this morning, I went to go look something up and I had to log into my email because like we were going to talk about, you know, and I can't remember what it was, but I had to look something up. So I had to log into my email and I get the thing that we get sometimes where it's like a hundred times you log into your CBS email and you go right in. And then there's that hundred and first time where you log in and it's like, you have to sign into the, the security Okta yes. thing, but then the Okta sends you like the push notification to your phone, but I'm on the radio with you on my phone. <laughs> so the notification's not coming through and I'm trying to log in and I'm like, sitting there and no, oh, that's what it was. I was trying to look up the name of the Notre Dame freshman QB Buckner. Yes. And I'm like, Oh God, what's the kid's name? And I'm like stalling in my answer. I'm stalling. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, you damn phone. I need to get in and get the damn name <laughs> or you have the one which one do you guys have i, I switched it because i used to have the authenticator where you had it was really pressure the pressure starts to sit in because that little spinner goes around and if you don't type in the number fast enough it switches numbers on you so now i'm back to old school just straight text me the number text me the number yep. and i plug it in that tell me you were born in the 70s without telling me you were born in the 70s <laughs> But yeah, so that's that is internet security. Thank God the, the Russians won't get our email. There is a hack, by the way, which I will share with you guys offline. <laughs> oh, okay. well, I you definitely won't that, use that it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would, Me I would never do that. <laughs> I follow all of the policies and guidelines of Viacom CBS that I learned I in that training seminar. In, in theory, if you wanted to know. Uh, all right, on to this. Post spring top 25 uh, for the, the listener. Um, I get, I'll, I'll run through it 
real quick, and then we can come back and reference some of these. But uh, Alabama starts out at number one, Clemson at two, Oklahoma at three, Ohio State at four, Georgia at five, uh, Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State all finished in the top five when we did our final 2020 CBS Sports 130, uh, just you know, a little bit of a flip flop where Ohio State was at two, now they're at four, Oklahoma was at five, now they're at three, and Clemson at two after finishing at three. Uh, Georgia up two spots from where they finished last year, they were at seven, now at five. Uh, Iowa State at six, North Carolina at seven, Oregon at eight. Texas A&M at 9, and Cincinnati at 10. Again, in the entire top 10, uh, eight of them all finished last season in the top 10 of the CBS rankings. North Carolina, which was at 17 at the end of last year, at number 7. Oregon, which was number 31 at the conclusion of last year, up at number 8. Notre Dame, which of course finished last year after a 10-2 season at number 4 in our rankings, uh, kicks off the next little batch at number 11, followed by Wisconsin at 12, Florida at 13, USC at 14, Miami at 15, LSU made the second biggest jump from where they finished last year to where they are now. They're at number 16 in our post-spring 2021 rankings. They were number 52 at the conclusion of last season. Uh, Texas follows LSU at 17, Iowa at 18, Penn State at 19. Oh, that's actually the second biggest jump. They were 54 last year. Uh, Penn State at 19, Washington at 20, Indiana at 21, Arizona State at 22, Michigan at 23, Coastal Carolina at 24, and Oklahoma State at 25. Uh, Michigan was at 92 when we ran our final ballots for the 2020 season after their 2-4 and four performance. Penn State uh, was number 54. So again, uh, big moves up for uh, Penn State, for Michigan, in total, we are looking at a, a Big Ten that has the most teams in the top 25 with six. The SEC has five, though all five are in the top 13. Uh, Pac-12 and Big 12 with four each. The ACC, fifth among the Power Five teams with just three each. Sunbelt and American each have one. And Notre Dame, out of the ACC's been back all into indie life. Uh, they, they get the last one to bring us to the, a number of 25. So I, let's, let's start with just the, the general feeling. Cause I think that the top of the rankings is a, a flavor of preference at the post spring point, And maybe even in the preseason point, because we just, I mean, even early season, we just don't have enough data for anybody to be able to plant their, uh, flag down unless you can. And, and feel like you've got, you can confidently say that one team is a cut above the rest. I will say that in that top group, my number one did not uh, finish in the top two, but uh, but I'm curious to to see how y'all have uh, those top teams sort of lined up against each other at this point after spring practice. My top six are the exact top top six in the poll. In order? Yeah. So we're just posting Tom's rankings. Are yeah, we sure much. this was aggregated or or or, or uh, combined, or is this just Tom's? <laughs> right. Well, just, I had a, mine. I had Ohio State number one. So I, I know that, you know, at least somebody else is, is out there not agreeing with that. Uh, I've got the Buckeyes as, as my number one. And, uh, and I think that, you know, I'm, I'm looking at Alabama and I'm saying, man, we are doing a lot of just like, yeah, it's going to be great with Bryce Young and 
with an offensive line and a wide receiver position and a running back room that's deep, but just seems to be a lot of just, you know, passing things along without putting under a little bit more scrutiny. I think Ohio State's offense is more proven. I think that Clemson gets, you know, look concerns about the offensive line. Running backs, you got a lot of good options, but they still got to go out there and prove themselves. And then uh, Oklahoma is probably intriguing, but I, to me, the Buckeyes seem to have the least amount of questions and they seem to have the, the offense that I consider the best offense in the country if we're power ranking it going into next season. That's why I've got the Buckeyes number one. Uh, who's playing the quarterback? Just curious. CJ Stroud, I would assume. Okay. So you're assuming that. You don't know that for sure. No, I, I'm saying that so, whoever wins it, it's going to be fine. Right. We'll just be fine. Yeah. All right. Because I do like that's where I would have Oklahoma number one because you guys know the priority that I would put on quarterback returning. Somebody we know for certain what we're going to get. And even though we've seen some good out of DJ Uyunglele, we've seen – some good out of Bryce Young in a very, very slim window. We've seen some good out of three Ohio State quarterbacks in a very, very slim window. JT Daniels, we saw four games, pretty good. But Spencer Rattler is the most experienced, most proven of these. And I do think you have to consider schedule, too. Oklahoma's schedule is by far the most manageable. And this is where it gets interesting with preseason top 25s. Like, is this How do you do it? Right. Are you are you projecting who you think will be number one at the end? Are you saying, hey, if they face right now, it's just it's a confusing exercise sometimes. But I do think all things considered and you guys know on here, I've been bullish on Oklahoma saying I think they're going to get their first playoff win. I think they've got their best chance. Their defense is getting better. The amount of returning starters on both sides of the ball. I think Oklahoma makes a really firm case for that preseason number one. But kind of to what we're all talking about the top four top five I mean, you could make a really good case for any one of them and i wouldn't push back too much on any one of them Danny, i i think you really nailed it there i mean i if you want to get all hot takey you can but to me there's five teams that pretty clearly stand out above the rest um i guess the only pushback i would have on this is i i'm not so sure that rattler is that that much more proven than dj I know that maybe, but like he had, he had some some pretty shaky games against some teams that were, you know, quite frankly, bad teams. DJ had some, you know, some really nice moments against big time teams, as did Rattler. DJ has a better pedigree. He was a better better player as a recruit. There's no doubt he would have been ranked higher than him if they were in the same recruiting class. Same for CJ, by the way, at Ohio State. Like Rattler would not have been rated higher than those guys. I, I don't think if they had been in the same class. And so I. I do default a little bit to the recruiting rankings when we have guys that don't have you know that much experience, but I, I don't have any problem with, with any of this. I let me throw this out to you. I, I you know listen to some serious XM radio, not Danny's show, but they were like, "This has got to be Iowa State's year, right?" I think it was last year. I think that that you can actually argue they kind of missed their window, right? Now I'm not saying they can't win the Big Twelve or they can't go to the playoff at Iowa State, who is our what is our number six, mm-hmm. but I don't group them with with the top five. Agreed. I think last year was their real shot to do it. I mean, they have a shot this year, but I think last year was a better shot to do it for, for the Cyclones. It might. I mean, when it came out for me, like, I didn't really have difficulty until I got to number six. Like, honestly, like, my, my top five was pretty simple to me. I didn't have to put a whole ton of thought into it. It was Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and then Georgia, I feel like, is the best of that non, you know, your playoff favorites. And then I did kind of start, like, I have Iowa State at six. 
and I did kind of like that was where for me I think the whole exercise became an actual exercise that's where it's like difficult because I feel like those five teams I listed are obviously probably the top five teams it's just after that like it's not all that dissimilar to what we saw last year where it's that whole six to ten range really isn't that big of a difference between those teams and then like the 11 to 15. So when we go by tiers, I kind of, it's, it's all kind of jumbled to me. And I put Iowa state there simply because of the amount of players that they have back, the amount of experience that they have back. But I, I do wonder if their ceiling truly is number six. Like I feel like Iowa state is a solid team to be in the top 10 and it's definitely going to be a team in the top 15 to top 20 range, but I wouldn't be shocked at all. If this is a team that ends up losing two, three games, it gets, you know, booted out of that area pretty quickly. So I, I, I had them ahead of North Carolina who I had at seven in my spot or ninth in my spot finished seventh in the poll. I had Oregon at seven. I had Wisconsin at eight, but like those teams, to me, we're all very similar. And I think I, I look at Iowa State kind of just like as a Big 12 Wisconsin, where it could go 10, 11, and 1, or it could go 9, and 3, 8, and but, 4. Tom, you, you just said, is their ceiling really number six? I think the answer to that is easily yes. My question is, like, how certain are we that they're going to be a top 10 team? Like, they, I, to, to your point, I, I almost, the way you phrased that was, it was just kind of interesting in my head there. Um, you know, w- what is Iowa State's floor? Oh, I can tell. Top 20 team? Yeah, no, maybe even. Yeah, yeah, top 20, 25. Maybe you could say top 30 if we're going to look at this like outside of the pole world and in a little bit more of a full power ratings world. Uh, I think the floor is probably seven and five, eight and four. And they are going to beat. They're going to win like five games because they're just like more experienced, a little bit better, a little bit crisper, just out executing. But they could also lose against a team that's worse than them because of some really gifted players. Like, I just, I don't think that, uh, I mean, I had Iowa State at nine. I, I respect everything. They are, like, in the, in the college basketball sense, they're the team with all the veterans back, right? It's like, oh, yeah, you, you could go on a deep run, but if you wind up in the Final Four against, uh, you know, these two lottery picks that are both playing over here, you might be toast. And that's what sort of ultimately keeps me from bumping them up because, we don't view Brock Purdy as uh, a truly uh, elite quarterback in at the college level when ranked among his peers, and so you're you're relying on really good defense and a strong running game, and uh, you know Charlie Kohler, good tight ends. Like it's a it's a very almost Notre Dame ish type look at it, and if so, then you got to apply like the Notre Dame kind of model where there's you can be awesome and you can win a whole bunch of games, most of the games. But when we are judging you against the rest of the country, there's going to be a cap on where we're going to put you. Do you know who was, I don't know if you know this uh, offhand, who was the biggest riser post-spring and who was the biggest faller post-spring? You know, like from the way too early, right after the season uh, poll to the now poll. This was our first as a collective. Okay, so this is our first. Yeah, gotcha. the only adjustments that we have are from the end of last season. So that's gotcha. like where I would Michigan's the biggest riser in that which they jumped up. I think is ridiculous. Like I, I do. I don't. Ooh, I don't think Michigan nice. should. This is what bothers me about the preseason polls, is that, and I'm not calling any one of you guys lazy, but I do think no, there are lazy. Some, <laughs> but, but like I've done these polls before. When I get past 15. I start mailing it in and saying, all right, they must be pretty, like, they got a brand, you know, oh, Michigan. Yeah, they're pretty good. Like, and you just, but, and then, but if, 
like if you start researching it, they were two and four last year. They still have a lot of question marks. They have entirely new staff. Like, are they really deserving of a top 25 spot? And they probably aren't. Right. And so like, I don't know, there's, there's some of the back end that bothers me. And that's like Indiana. Didn't any of our voters listen to this podcast when I was promoting Indiana's success last year and what Tom Allen is bringing and they have the season that they did and we come in here and we drop them in. Where are they? They're at 21. First. I had a Michigan. 21st. Come on. Head of Michigan. I'll take Michigan to finish ahead of Indiana in the poll. Ooh. Can we throw it on the tracker? That is a good one. I, I think Michigan's a better team than Indiana. I think Indiana played at sort of the the very top end of their potential range last year. And I'm, I'm, I'm not buying them to take another step. Mm. I, I will. I had Michigan at 23 on mine, two spots below Indiana, but I, they're the sixth best team in the big 10 at 23 <laughs> right. in, in my ranking. So I, I, I get what you're saying, but I, I do think that talent wise, it just, it raises the floor of what they could be like. I think they're going to be a top 25 team. I don't know if I'm going to have them competing for Ohio state or anything, right. but the the interesting thing to me, like you mentioned, the risers, like LSU takes a big jump, which I think is clearly just based on the fact that it's LSU. And then what surprises me more than anything, and it's another team we've talked about in here because LSU is ranked, the Cajuns aren't. Right, that was like, ridiculous. I had Louisiana, I had them at twenty fifth on my ballot, but they didn't even make you know the top twenty five in our final one. Northwestern, obviously, I had them at twenty seventh. They didn't make it. I had LSU at twenty ninth. And they finished at 16. You had Northwestern at 27. Yeah. I don't know, man. They're they're but second I, to last in the nation in returning production. I I I'm I love I love their coach, but damn, that's a that's a whole yeah, lot but, to lose. But still, like if I have LSU at 29 and it finishes at 16, where the hell was everybody else oh, in LSU? Get get excited, Tom, because I have Louisiana at 20. I'm with you. The Cajuns are the biggest damn snub here. I had LSU, wait for it, at 27. So somebody's got like LSU You're in the top, top 10. 10. <laughs> I need we need to find out who had LSU in the top 10, and we need to have them on. Which SEC Homer was that? That's it's gotta on. be Barrett. Right. Barrett, yes. did you put LSU exactly. in the top 10? It's definitely Barrett pumping that SEC. So let's walk through this. Uh, how do you view LSU as a top 10 team? I, I think you look at it in a couple of ways. The recruiting in the, in the last couple of years has been better than it's been in a while. They are loaded up with talent. They did have Max Johnson go in there and, and beat Florida in the swamp, even though it was you know kind of a really, really fluky win. I think if you're buying into LSU as a top 10 team, you are basically thinking, all right, new defensive coordinator, so they're done with the Pelini thing, because that was pretty clearly a disaster. You think that the players are over Orgeron supporting Trump, right, which was clearly a locker room issue last year. If you, I mean, it was. Like, we, we, we know that from what people said. They, they weren't cool with, with him, you know, being anti-protest and whatnot. Or, well, not anti-protest, but supporting some causes that a lot of the players didn't really support. Um, so you think that all the team chemistry stuff is, is fixed, and then you're just betting on talent. And I think you think, all right, who in that division is clearly better than them? I think A&M has a much higher floor than LSU does because I know I can bank on that defense. But the ceiling-wise, I actually think you can make an argument that LSU's ceiling is higher than A&M's because I have no confidence in A&M's ability to score in big games because their receivers continue to get worse, not better. 
I'm not saying I believe all this stuff. I don't. I definitely would not have LSU as a top 10 team right now. But if you pitch it to me in that way, I can kind of see where you're coming from. Yeah, I, I definitely think there's a path for LSU finishing in the top 10. I mean, for the love of God, they won a national title a couple years ago. It's like, so I, I think that there's a path. It's just for like a post spring. Like, I, like I mean, what yeah, you see this spring well, that has you being like, here we go, top yeah. 10, let's go. And, that's and they the might place. get Gilbert back, I guess. And that's the advantage of having any brand, a Michigan at LSU, is that you're given an advantage in most top 25s, and it does help the perception of you. It helps in your conference when you're playing each other. I mean, we just saw that play out in basketball with the Big Ten. Um, so that's, that's like my big issue with it. Uh, do you guys think if I gave you the top five teams or the field, you're taking the top five, right? The way college football has played out to win the, yeah, national, what, the national title. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's not even close. Oh my yeah. God. Yeah. You'd have to give me like, you'd have to give me like 10 to one to take the field. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah. Like, I think that's a, I think that's of course something we've discussed a lot. I'm trying to see if I get any of you guys to take any sort of bait, but no. In how many years, in how many years prior to the college football playoff, would you have taken outside the top five? I bet you not very many. I used to be, and when I was on, you know, I would say 10 years ago, eight years ago, and now I've changed because I would like to take a flyer and say, let me see if this team can do it. And now I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be wrong more times than not, so let me take one of the top four to win it all. I th- you know, because I, I, I used to like to try to find that diamond in the rough. I think Cam Auburn is one of the only, like, and I think they even started at 23 or something in the preseason poll. I think that is one of the off the top of my head in the last like ten years or so. That's the the biggest like came out true like came out of nowhere. And even then, we're talking about Auburn, and we're talking about a team that still started in the top twenty five. What was LSU preseason the year they won with Burrow? They were not top five. But top and Florida State with Jameis was not top five to start. Right. So, but they were probably all pretty like top ten, top preseason twenty nineteen. LSU was number six. Here, here's so the, even like, the borough questions a preseason futures hedge for any listeners that want to do this because i've been thinking about it myself looking at william hill's futures for a national title in 2021 in 2022 or 2021 alabama's the favorite at three to one clemson's a favorite at four second at four to one then it's ohio state at seven to one and oklahoma at eight to one and then georgia at ten to one you could literally just bet on the top four and then if Alabama wins, you break even. If any of Clemson, Ohio State, or Oklahoma win, you make money. That's not a bad bet. I'm just <laughs> or if you want to, if you're willing, if you're willing to lose one unit, if you're that risky, you could go to number five, five. Georgia at ten to one. No, don't so pick Georgia Alabama, to win the national title. We can't trust them. They are not to be trusted. I'll bet Georgia just, to win the national title if they lose to Clemson, though. I, I I think that's the time to bet Georgia. No way in hell am I going to bet them preseason. Like, like yeah. I, I, I want to bet on the loser of, of that opening game. To turn it around, like, run the table. Especially if they look bad, because people overreact and the odds overreact. So, yeah, I'm going to place that bet right now. And If you could take a team outside the top five, who would it be? A&M. Yeah. No. Quarterback uh, no. no way. You but want A&M? What I've seen. No. I was, they can't score in big games. They don't, they're not explosive. Like, I, I agree with you. I think you. LSU over A&M for the national title. I'll t- like if, you, if I have to bet on a team to win eight games or nine games, I'm taking A&M. But upside, I don't think so. Interesting. They don't have the dudes pure, on offense. Pure value 
based on the ability to get to the playoff. USC? Oregon's 50 oh, Oregon. to 1 uh, yeah. at William Hill. I got him at 71 on another site. Well, I don't know of any other sites that exist. That's right. Daniel, <laughs> <there's> <laughs> one site in the world. I would only recommend William Hill for sure. Or, or the Edgewater Sportsbook and Entertainment Import. <laughs> That's right. So the um, so Chip, you would really take AM to win a natty over LSU? Yes, over LSU for sure. I think defense is so much better. And I, don't, I think to win a natty, you do need to have uh, fighter pilots. You need to have wide receivers. You would need to have... Uh, but I am more willing to entertain that Texas A&M can have development, right? That, that Texas A&M could have somebody emerge and we could be writing the story about um, you know whoever wins the quarterback battle and uh, whoever ends up stepping up at wide receiver as like the work they put in and blah, 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 blah. I think that is more likely, and then they've got a rock-solid defense, than LSU uh, being a team that you can trust to not have the slip-ups along the way. And I think kind of what Bud was alluding to about LSU's expectations, like there's a lot of optimism around A&M right now, and I know you want to buy low, but I still have massive concerns about Jake Peets, first-time play caller, young, you know, new staff, which quarterback – we all I like Max Johnson, but Miles Brand, like which quarterback is going to evolve? We're not even 100% sure. Um, yeah, I would, I would say, given those two, I would take Texas A&M too. Hey, Cover 3 listeners, we've reached that point of the year where there's a lot, I mean, a lot of sports going on at once, which is why we wanted to tell you about the CBS Sports app and how it's not just the best scoring app for your phone, but also where you get breaking news alerts, stories by us, standings, schedules, team pages, and all the sports digital stuff that you're used to. And of course, if there's a game airing on CBS, that means it's streaming on the CBS Sports app. Easy, right? Download it. Redownload it. Rate it. Rerate it. If it's got that little cloud logo right next to it on your phone and you know that we love those five-star ratings, don't hesitate to drop one for the app. Thanks, Cover 3 listeners. Now, let's get back to the show. So from the conference-wide view, uh, I mentioned at the top six Big Ten teams, five SEC teams, all five of them up there in the top 16. Do you see that... uh, do you have any conference-wide takeaways in terms? And obviously, literally, all of this is perception. This is this is a hundred percent just what college football experts at CBS Sports and twenty four seven Sports uh, think. How they're stacking these teams against each other is is the SEC top heavy? Are there teams that uh, should be in that aren't? And is the Big Ten uh, being anchored like the the Penn State and the Michigan inclusion is like talent and brand? Where you're like I. I I think last year was not representative of where that program is right now of how good the coaching is and of how good the talent is. And so I'm, I'm willing to watch that away. I think interestingly enough, like I was kind of on the other side, they won six straight games to finish the year. And while they might have some questions, including losing a lot on the defensive line and having a quarterback that we still aren't quite settled on how much of a difference maker he can be. You're looking at Iowa and you're like, oh, no, no, no. Like, that's, we saw how they finished the year last year. You got to include them. So, the Big Ten's six selections leading all conferences is interesting because it is, has both of those angles to it where there's these teams that seem to be, uh, we're ignoring what happened last year. Maybe, I guess you could throw Wisconsin in there too for Wisconsin, Penn State, and Michigan. Then there's like an Iowa and an Indiana where we are absolutely hanging on to what we saw last year. And it's led to them being the most representative, most represented conference in these rankings. I can only speak for my rankings. I 
I did. When it came to Penn State and Michigan, my idea was I didn't want to put too much into 2020 because 2020 was just a weird year for the Big Ten in general. So, yeah, for Indiana, definitely last year played a huge role because I think that there's, you know, I hate to, but there's momentum with that program going forward. And then for Iowa, I mean, they did win. They were hot to finish last season, but me including Iowa in my top 25 isn't about 2020. It's just about what Iowa is at this point. It's a top 25 program. It's going to end up in there somewhere. Maybe it finishes just outside in a bad year, but it's it's always hovering around the top 25. So that's why I had that in mind. I think... I mean, I think we could say the same thing as far as ignoring 2020 for, again, LSU to be up as high as it is. That's ignoring 2020. Guys, I, I, sorry. I, I, I think that really between about 17 and 45, there's, there's really very little difference. And, and the, the number 25 is just an arbitrary cutoff, right? It used to represent about the top 25% of college football back when we only had about 100 teams in D1. Now we have 130, 130 132, 130. 130. 130 teams in, in in D1. So if you want to look at the top, you know, 25% now, you got to you got to really kind of expand it out to like the top, you know, 40 or so programs. Um, I'd say one team that I, I I had in mind was NC State. I think NC State's a better team than Indiana. I, I think they're a better team than, than a lot of these teams that were listed. I uh, I don't really buy into like oh I, I think I would take them over Oklahoma State. Um, so for me, yes, the SEC is tops because they have a lot more teams that I feel like are safely inside that top 15 range than the big 10 does. The big 10 has a lot more of those sort of fringe top 25 teams. I think particularly in the East with Penn state, Michigan and Indiana. Um, like so one loss and you ba- one loss and you're bounced when you're in those spots, you're in the danger zone from a rankings perspective where one loss and you're probably not going to be in next week. Yeah. Also I have TCU over Oklahoma state in the big 12. I do as I'm well. Really sh- I don't get the Oklahoma State love. Do you guys have Oklahoma State high? If so, sell me on that if you would. I We turned in 30 I, to get this top 25. I had TCU at 26. I did not have Oklahoma State. I had NC State at 28, uh, which wouldn't have made the top 25, but I, I did not have uh, Oklahoma State at all. I did not have either in my top 30. Neither TCU nor NC State? Boy, you're nope. missing out on some good hype trains I'm telling you, <laughs> I didn't I was, have NC. I had NC State at 30, though. I had. I was on the Pack Pride podcast this week. Boy, they are they are excited about competitive depth. We are we're finally feeling like we got some competitive depth at uh, at NC State. It's gonna be a gonna be a big year. I mean, they they draw. Oh, and to to your point, Danny, I do not think about it from the perspective of what's it going to be. When I'm ranking, I'm going like power rating style. Like if I was to like, who do I think is better? Who would I like? I always lean on actual power ratings. If I'm talking about like setting a mythical betting line, but it's like, who would I pick? You could set a line, but who would I pick among these teams to play on a neutral field? That's how I would do it because NC state, while their team is, I'm with you, bud. They also have a really tough, they draw North Carolina and Miami from the coastal. And then of course you've got Clemson. So when you're looking at like taking the next step, he's like, all right, well, you know, because you're in Clemson's division, you know, say an ACC championship, that's, that's, that's really tough. So what's realistic. And then the fans start talking about, all right, well, 10 wins, 10 wins would be like a really big time achievement. It's like, cool. Well, uh, 
you've got North Carolina, Miami, and Clemson on that schedule. So you're going to have to beat one of those to get to 10 wins and not have one of those losses along the way, like at Wake Forest, at Boston College, something like House of Horrors right there. But I don't take any of that schedule stuff into consideration when I do these rankings. I mean, a, a top 25 team with NC State's schedule goes eight and four, nine and three. Right. Yes. A top 25 quality team against that type of schedule goes about eight and four, nine and three. Mm-hmm. I think that's capable. I, I think that's very much within their range. For the uh, the Pac-12, the Oregon up there at number eight, then uh, no Pac-12 teams until you get to USC at number 14. There is uh, a little bit, you know, as I've been, uh, obviously, shout out to Bill Connolly, friend and guest of the program, all of his uh, information, including preseason SP plus and, uh, and the returning production rankings were data that I used, but as I was doing all my research and ranking these teams, you know, there is uh, there, there's an interesting position with the PAC 12 where it, it seems like there's, there's Oregon at the top and then you've got this big group where it's going to be really competitive. I think, but how do we decipher like what's being good and what's beaten up on each other? Because I th- I've thought the Big 12 was really good before, and then Big 12 gets in a bowl season and they get blown out. Or in non-conference, they don't they don't play well. Or in the NFL draft, they don't have a whole lot of players drafted. And and I come back to this podcast and I say I need to stop mistaking competitiveness for competency. I need to stop saying because these are really fun, good games from an entertainment standpoint does not mean these are good football teams because we cannot seem to separate a lot of these Pac-12 teams. Does that mean that the Pac-12 is going to be a good conference this season or are we going to get uh, potentially fooled by all these teams beating up on each other? What, what teams do you think have a shot to end up in the top 25? From me, obviously, Oregon, USC. I believe UCLA, Arizona State, and Utah, Agreed. and Washington. Although Washington, I'm a little bit more down on. I was I was driving the Washington hype train, but now they lost their best defensive lineman to, I believe, it blew out his Achilles uh, at, at the end of spring practice. So that really sucks because they already lost some impact defensive linemen off that team uh, to graduation. But you just draft, mentioned so. half the – we just talked about half the conference, two teams from the north and four teams from the south. That's- sure, but, but – Chip, I mean, we just got done talking about like what's the difference between like number seventeen and number forty-five. It's minimal. Like, I, I right. think that there are three or four teams that have a chance to finish sort of in that seventeen to twenty-five range. There's it's like, not much difference between those teams. It's just not quality-wise. I, I think that the ceiling for some of those teams seems higher because they're not banging their head against an Alabama, an Ohio State, or a Clemson or an Oklahoma. Right. We just, we see, it seems like an open door because if Arizona State gets everything rolling, if Jane Daniels is one of the best players in the country, Arizona State wins the Pac 12, right? I mean, you just can quickly start connecting dots. And that is a higher ceiling in terms of accomplishments than anything that you could say about a mid tier team in the SEC. Like, if you want to say Ole Miss probably deserves consideration for one of these spots, I would hear it. But, Ole Miss is Ole Miss and Arizona State are not going to be able to accomplish the same things because Arizona State has a, a pathway to um, something for the trophy case. So would you rather have top twenty five ceilings, right? Not top fifteen ceilings, right? Chip, would right. you rather for national title? Would you rather have Arizona State at one hundred to one or Ole Miss at one hundred and fifty to one? Arizona State. I'd rather have Ole Miss at one hundred fifty. I'd rather just save my money. <laughs> those those teams those teams oh, are yeah. not winning. I'm not betting I mean, either. 
If you gave me like five hundred to one, these are ten dollars future bets, probably. But like one hundred fifty to one, one hundred one are are bad values. Like just if you run the numbers on those, that those are like the books are just absolutely taking you behind the woodshed, dude. They are. They're just yeah, there for fans to bet. You're taking a huge fun. haircut on yeah. those odds. You're giving up so much value. Don't don't bet those. Ah, Sorry so much partner William Hill. That, so much good realistic. advice from Bud Elliott here, telling you telling you how to get behind the numbers, right. being smart. Here here's something that I mean we're getting off topic now, but this is somewhat surprising to me. These teams are all 500 to one to win the national title. They're South Carolina, Louisville, and Illinois. They're <laughs> <laughs> all the same. So it, in the book's mind, South Carolina and Louisville are the same. As and uh, in my mind, I agree. As far as the ability to win the national title, they're exactly the same. Zero. But Cal, Cal is 750 to one. I mean, and that kind of goes against what you're saying, Chip, was like the, the path would be easier in the Pac-12. So I don't know. Are y'all in on Cal? We didn't mention them. I don't. I, I'm kind no. of on a, like, I'm going to need to see other people eating at that restaurant for a while before I start to feel good going back in there. Got it. <laughs> Got a little sick to yeah. my tummy uh, one night. Now, now I'm not so sure. Does back. Yeah, Cal got consideration for my top 30, but they're they're in that kind of 31 to 50 range where it's like, ah. You know, as much as I want to get excited about the Pac-12, because don't they have the most returning players because their season was shortened so bad last year? Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm like, maybe that could be an advantage. I don't are they still even allowed to practice some of these places normally? Like I like I'd still wonder what impact that has. I think some of those places are Pac-12. still like wear masks Pac- outside regulations and stuff. So Right. Or, you know, me, I, I talked to Delaware's head coach in the FCS playoff. He said they held meetings in person the entire season. Now, to me, you're like, what does that matter? Like, you usually meet before practice for 45 minutes to an hour, and then you go out to the field. Now, they still go out to the field, but their meetings are via Zoom. Like, and that's some of the challenges that people still be looking, you know, in some places might still be, I hope not, might still be having to face. But I think the Pac-12, much like the season, will be the toughest one to get a beat on in the preseason. And some school may take advantage of having a slew of guys return more so than others. I do have Utah at number 17 on my ballot because Charlie Brewer went 15 for 15 in the spring game. And uh, and they did not <laughs> end up right. appearing in the uh, in the top but 25. But like, I think they're... See, I would have had Oklahoma at one if Caleb Williams was the starter, but he's not. <laughs> but like Utah's a team, like if you were talking about Michigan and you said, all right, window, uh, you look at the five-year snapshot, Utah's a team that probably deserves more credit from a five-year mm-hmm. snapshot. They were on the edge of the playoff like two years yeah. ago. Right. Mm. right. Yeah. Uh, any other? Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, you remember the office when Kevin said, "If anybody ever offers you ten thousand to one odds, you take it." Yes. <laughs> yes, I found a couple instances where you don't. William Hill future odds, national titles, futures ten thousand to one odds on UMass, UConn, New Mexico State, Akron, Old Dominion, Bowling Green, and ULM. Don't take any of them. <laughs> Terry for Terry Bound Squad. That's a yeah. championship pedigree right there. Come on. Let's go, Warhawks. All right. What's Cincinnati at 10? What's Cincinnati's odds? Let's go. Oh, Get that group of it. five going. Cincinnati that was is going to be my question. 40 to 1. Like, 
ahead wow, of Miami and Indiana, better than Dan, Oregon. I'll give you a hundred to one on Cincinnati for, for, for the betting sheet. <laughs> All right, if you want, well, they can't get in. They can't All get right, in. Two hundred. But to I was one. gonna. That's what I was gonna be my follow up. Like, where do they need to start? And I don't think there's a number. They could start at four. They're just gonna go backwards. I, I think they could get in. Um, but I just don't think they can win two back to back. Doctor Tom Fornelli, get on him. I was with you, but never getting in. I just don't think they can win. They don't. They don't have the talent to match up against two teams like that in back-to-back games. They played a, a kind of a you know, pretty iffy Georgia team there and still couldn't pull it out. So that's you know? let's, let's before we get out of here, let's throw it back to the the. Are we going to throw a, uh, a a Tom a Tom v Bud Cincinnati getting in? What, what kind of what kind of odds do y'all want on that? Not winning the title, but just making the college football playoff to make the playoff. Yes, no. What are the prices? <laughs> Interesting. I'll take, I'll take 50 enough, to make the playoff. Could, 40 to 1. I would take that too. <laughs> 40 to 1. I might get it on this too. The, we'll find out. This bet will be settled. Well, no, it won't be settled. You know what? Screw it. But I'll they play a, Indi- they play. I'll give you 100 to 1. They're not getting in. All right. I'll take 100 to 1 to make the playoffs. <laughs> All yeah. right. Two, two, so, 2007 did. I'll take happen. 100 to 1. I'm going to be pumping them All right. for. For days in the first month of the season, they play at Indiana and at Notre Dame, two preseason yeah. top twenty-five teams. They could as soon as, as, soon as they lose one run. of those games, done. Guys, it, coincidentally, <laughs> done. Danny just booked me uh, as a guest on a Sirius XM show every single day uh, of of, uh, of, the, of the, the football season. <laughs> oh, whole yes. Cincinnati, segment. Cincinnati segment. We will be hyping up Cincinnati. Yes. <laughs> All right, and the college football playoff selection committee is meeting this week, which means they're in their rental cars listening to satellite radio. So let's talk about Cincinnati. <laughs> Just incepted in there. Yeah, that's uh, that was, that was like a Will Brinson uh, pumping up the Phillip Rivers for MVP uh, for a couple years ago. Just doing it for the pack. Yeah, you got to consider him, you know. Go Wolf Pack. <laughs> All right, uh, did, did, did he have an MVP ticket on him? Mike Glennon. Oh, I don't know. I just oh. I just thought it was he was going total homer on it and it was uh and it was it was a great bit. Uh, He's a good DFS player, I think, right? Uh like Brinson? Daily fantasy stuff. Yeah. yeah. He got uh Brinson won golf once. Now he right? thinks he's great. I mean, but if you like win win once, you're you're gravy, right? Mm-hmm. A friend of mine actually is a professional DFS guy and and, and makes like seven or eight hundred thousand a year on it. But like, it's it's a full full time job. Like, I don't think any of the guys that are do media are consistently crushing DFS because it, it's like ten hours a day, nonstop. You know, the the wind shifts two you know two miles an hour projection in Cincinnati or in in Chicago for baseball, and you got to make adjustments to your your system. Like, casual people take a bath in DFS typically. DraftKings, if you want to sponsor, or well, I probably shouldn't shout them out since we have William Hill. But anyway, William Hill doesn't have DFS, so I have a separate DFS sponsor. Well, I do pretty decent in NBA. But Tom, you, you have a system, and like you, you know numbers. You, you're not just picking your favorite players. No. Yeah, I. <laughs> but NBA is especially at this time of year is just a cluster. You know what? Because it's like, oh god, everybody's sitting out. It's like you, you have to be paid. Yeah, to do it professionally you really have to not just know the numbers. You have to be dedicated to updating everything constantly and just being on it. It is like a 15-hour-a-day job. I'll give you guys a DFS tip that is not really valid yet, but like come June, July, August, you can use it. Cleveland Stadium in baseball, weather-dependent is actually not a strong pitcher's park, right? 
if you look at the overall mm-hmm. season, it is. But if you if you strip the weather out of there, so like when when the park starts to heat up a little bit, it actually doesn't play as a pitcher's park. So wait till it heats up a little bit in Cleveland, and then you can get some of those hitters, especially because their hitters suck. The ball flies out to right yeah, center. Exactly. We track the wind oh, in I baseball know. too. <laughs> yeah, I Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be a meteorologist. Be <laughs> Any other uh, thoughts on the top 25 before we get out of here? I will say that I put much more effort into my preseason fall top 25 than I put into my post spring top 25. <laughs> <laughs> who, uh, who are the teams who you felt bad leaving off your top 30. Like if we're going to talk about how 17 to 40 is pretty similar, you know, who are the, who are the teams that you didn't have in your top 30 who, you know, you're like, damn, I, I wanted to put them in. Cal was hovering around there. Boise state was hovering around there just because I feel like, you know, even without Harson, they're respectful enough. Kentucky was hovering around there. Uh, NC state. No, I had NC state at 30 old miss. I left out, uh, yeah, other than that, let's see. Who else did I really feel bad about? I can't – I don't want to use the word feel bad. Virginia was hovering. Again, it's like we talked about. Especially, like, when you get to 15 to 30, it's kind of a coin flip over between the difference of a lot of teams. And then once, once you get past that 30, it's even more ridiculous where it's like, you know, it's it's like DFS. If the wind changes two miles an hour, it can completely change the ranking. So I, I – got a team. Uh, yeah. What about Liberty. Yep. Ten and one last year, two wins against FBS teams. Malik Willis is going to be the next year's number one overall draft pick. Dumb out there, the hype. Let it begin. If we're going to team that deserves consideration, put put the Zach Wilson filter on Malik Willis and see that when he played against NC State. He had less than 50% completion percentage, two touchdowns, and three interceptions. And when he played against Coastal Carolina, he had zero touchdowns and two interceptions. Like that. What about if, the Hokies? If Chip, Ma- you're spoiling tomorrow's show. <laughs> if Malik Willis, <laughs> if Malik Willis is a first round pick, then I truly have lost this battle. And what happens in pads on Saturday does not matter one bit. It's all about the what is it? The attributes, the talent, the size, the projections, upside. Upside. It's all about the ceiling. Uh, be sure, uh, if you want to pull up this, please, I wrote the story, so go ahead and click on it, cbssports.com for the full post-spring top 25. Got some analysis in, in there, including some of the notes you heard and more. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Danny Cannell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3 Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. 
Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Beats.